Welcome to Brand Appeal, where we talk about brand storytelling in the digital age. I'm your host, Shannon Peel, and today I talked with John Folis, who ran an advertising agency on Madison Avenue in New York. Yes, that Madison Avenue. So if you're interested in the story of advertising, this is the episode for you. So listener, keep listening. John, thank you so much for joining me today on Brand Appeal, and I've got one question for you. What is it that you want to be known for? Making the world a better place. How's that? That's a wonderful thing to be known for, making the world a better place. And what ways do you go about making the world a better place? At this point in my life, Shannon, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I don't have to put energy into making money. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm at the place that I always want, aspired to get to when I started out my career. And I've been in this place for about mm, five, five, six years at this point. That allows me to focus my energy on doing what I just mentioned, trying to make the world better. That's where everyone would like to be eventually, but it's getting harder and harder for people, whether it is the fact that it just takes so much money to buy a house and they've got a mortgage until they're older or things happen like divorce sets them back 10, 20 years. And I've experienced all of those things. (laughs) (laughs) And yet you still made it. How were you able to make it to be able to have that financial freedom? I chose my parents wisely. I had a father who was a very smart financial guy and taught me at an early age about the value of investing. Mm -hmm. My career was mainly focused on doing the best work possible and being the best creative guy possible, not necessarily making the most money as I could, because it was kind of a trade-off. You could take jobs at agencies that were crappy agencies, but they paid a crap load of money. Or you could try to work for the top creative agencies and really just hone your skill and not make as much money as you might otherwise. So career-wise, I was always focused on, on being the best at what I did, which made it all the more important to learn how to invest wisely. I feel very fortunate about it. That's amazing. I know that my parents were able to retire early before 60 and travel the world. But once again, you know, timing, right? Well, they're very, very, very smart with money. We didn't have, I mean, we had more than most people, but we didn't have anything that wasn't needed. Very frugal in a lot of ways. Well, they were buying a house before the prices that they are now. Like this was back in the late seventies. Of course. It's a different time, different problems, different situation. Then my mom was a realtor and she made a a lot of money. Everything kind of came together, but it was definitely that being smart with money, saving, paying down that mortgage as fast as possible, going without for a lot of things. But that said, you know, we had one of the first microwaves, $800 for the microwave. So your, your parents were good examples for you as well. Yeah, it's amazing. But at the same time, things can happen now. And there's a lot of millennials out there and a lot of Gen Z's that are looking at the housing market and going, I'm just not going to be able to afford it. Right. And that is true. I'm not a homeowner anymore because of my divorce. And I look at it and go, I'm not going to be a homeowner ever again, because it's insanely stupid. But that doesn't mean that there isn't other ways to make money and that there isn't other ways to make your money work for you. It just means that maybe what was done in the past isn't going to be the way that you get there. I have to say, you know, regarding homeowning, I really didn't buy until I was early 50s. 
Okay. I mean, when I went, when I was living in Manhattan, I was just renting for, for 25 years. You know, in retrospect, it would have been great if I could have afforded to buy something because Manhattan rent is crazy. You know, when I was in my 20s or 30s, I couldn't afford a half a million dollars to buy a, a one-room condo. There's always other ways to find what you need in order to live the life that you want. So how did you know what, that you wanted to not give it 110% in agencies? You know, because I like freedom. <laughs> I, I like to do whatever I want to do. And I mean, that's the idea of retirement, right? Mm -hmm. You just want to retire at an age where, you know, you could still play tennis and, you know, run around the tennis court. Your parents are good examples of that. You know, sometimes when you're a business owner and you're just trying really hard to get through to the next stage and you want that thing at the end, some people just never get there. Most people probably never get there. I mean, there, I read a statistic years ago, the percentage of people who can afford to retire, pretty small. Mm -hmm. Part of it is not making the right decisions. That's probably the biggest part of it, not making the right decisions at the right time, because timing is also very important, right? Mm -hmm. Also involves a little bit of luck, I'd have to say. I don't think you can ignore that aspect, but I also think that you, you make your own luck. If you uh, do the things you need to do and really work hard and uh, have a goal in mind and are committed to achieving that goal and reaching that, that goal, it doesn't mean you're always going to make the right decisions and it doesn't mean you're not going to experience bad luck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got fired four times in seven years. Oh, you know, I could look back on that and say that that was not good luck. Two of the four times I got fired. It was, I think, in big part be because the guy that hired me at the agency decided to take another job about a month after he brought me in. And I don't know what it's like other places, but when you're working in a big agency on Madison Avenue and the guy that hired you isn't around to cover your back, chances are you're not going to last long at that agency or be, be real successful. You really need to have the protection and support of the person who hired you at that agency. He was a creative director who would have been my boss. He was a top guy at the agency. So he, he held a lot of power and a lot of influence in that agency. And I was, he hired me because he wanted me to work uh, for him and with him. And New York City is a tough place to work. And Madison Avenue, the streets of New York are strewn with dead bodies of, of people who worked at ad agencies and got thrown out for any number of reasons. I don't know that there's a city in the world that's more difficult to work in and be successful at than New York. It's, it's a tough town. For the expression, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. Madison Avenue is the mecca yeah. of advertising. So if you're any good, in fact, this is what I, I worked in Chicago before I moved to New York and I was considering going to LA at the time. And I remember being at a party and having a few too many beers. It was actually at Comiskey Park, which is where the Chicago White Sox play. And I'm literally standing on second base with a keg and an account woman. And we start a conversation. <laughs> Second base, Comiskey Park, Chicago. And she says, so what are you doing? I was thinking of leaving Chicago and thinking of maybe moving to LA because I was thinking maybe getting more involved in the movie film business. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you're in the advertising business now, right? And I said, yeah. She said, listen, if you're in advertising and you're any good or if you're serious about the business, you don't go to LA, you go to New York. And I remember thinking about that comment. I, I thought there was a lot of uh, truth in what she said. 
I was afraid of New York. I was intimidated by New York and I thought I was going to get my ass kicked if I moved there. Yeah. And as it turned out, I did. But I also knew uh, at that point, uh, after working in Chicago, that I was ready for the next challenge. And I didn't want to look back at my career when I'm at the age I'm at now, saying, gee, I wonder what it would have been like if I'd worked in New York, if I, you know, if I hadn't made that decision. So I'm glad I made that decision. I was 27 when I moved to New York. Now, I realize something like Mad Men was like way before your time, but how was it working in Madison Avenue? It was insane. Anyone who has worked on Madison Avenue a week has a good story to tell. And I was on Madison Avenue for 25 years. In the mid 90s, I just, just for therapy, I started writing. You know, they were like Seinfeld episodes, two or three page essays. The better part of 20 years, I had these stories on my website co collecting cyber dust. Yep. In 2015, when I was getting more into long format digital, kind of more narrative documentary style digital content, I said, maybe I should try converting one or two of these stories into like a mini documentary, you know, just using the desktop uh, applications, animation software. And, you know, I got my, my good microphone here, I'll do the narration. And let me just see if I could put some, some video and some pictures to my narration, to my stories and see what I come up with. Started with one or two and then submitted them to some film festivals and got into like eight film festivals. Wow, and, that's good too. Which was a pretty good validation that what I was doing was good. So I continued making them. And now on YouTube and Vimeo, I have a nine-part series called True Stories in Advertising. What I find interesting about that story is that there is a market for it. People are interested in it and you have shared it out into the world and created a niche of your own and a following of your own in order to share those stories of what it was like on Madison Avenue in the time that you were there. Well, that yeah, that's one of the reasons, again, that I thought of doing these podcasts, because in addition to doing these true stories in advertising, I also made a documentary mm -hmm. in 2017. So it was a mini documentary. It, the time was about 47 minutes. It's now been seen by 40,000 people from 98 countries with no distribution strictly by it being on a couple of websites. Since it's got no distribution, let me get on some podcasts that are in sync with the theme of that documentary so I can grease the wheels by, you know, spreading the word this way. Yeah. Did that for about a dozen podcasts and then just got bored hearing myself talk about the same thing every time and decided to switch gears and maybe focus on the true stories in advertising because the documentary was on a very, very big universal theme that would interest many, many people, which is why I think it's done so well, as well as it has. The true story is in advertising, that's a very small niche. You know, you might be interested and a few other people might be interested. You know, there's so many other things to talk about and I knew your show was about branding. So I figured, let me focus on that. I wanna know more about people and their stories and their life in the world of advertising, branding and marketing, because we could talk about branding and say the same thing that 10 other people said. Whereas you have your own unique story and it's only yours. The fact that you survived on Madison Avenue for 25 years says a lot about the knowledge that you have and how good you are in that, in that world. So what is the difference between advertising, branding, and marketing? 
Well, you know the answer to that. I do, but, <laughs> but what is your answer to that question? Well, only one of them will really get small in business owners interested in talking to you. <laughs> and it's not advertising and it's not branding because they don't think they have the money for advertising and they think they're too small for branding. My career was in kind of phases. The first 10 years of my career was working at being in the at what I call the advertising business, first working for big agencies and then co-founding my own ad agency, which was fine in the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, when the internet came along and, and people started focusing on that, not so cool anymore. Mm -hmm. When I found myself running, having my own Ma Madison Avenue agency, and it was literally on Madison Avenue, I, I might add, I would find myself at networking events uh, talking to smaller business owners who would go to these events. You wouldn't find anyone from McDonald's or you know Home Depot at a networking event, right? When I mentioned that I was in advertising and had an ad agency, they'd say, oh, that's nice. Excuse me, I, I'm going to get a drink. And they would Unfortunately, that's because a lot of people go to these networking events thinking, okay, who can I meet right now that can be a sale instead of, of going in and saying, okay, who can I meet right now to create a connection and get to know? The point I'm trying to make is that for these business owners, when I mentioned the word, the A word, as mm -hmm. I call it now, they thought of TV, radio, print. Again, this was the late 90s, 90 percent of advertising was, and that's, you know, that's a lot of money. And maybe they had an experience with advertising, maybe they didn't, but you know, good ch chances are that, that they didn't have the best experience with advertising, but they all needed marketing. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, as you know, advertising is one element of marketing. Mm -hmm. It may be the bi biggest and, and, and most well-known and most expensive element of marketing, at least it was that case in the 90s. Now it's become a much smaller part of it as the internet and the media landscape has evolved. But there are other elements of marketing that include branding, that include PR, that include uh, sales, selling, and things like that, Str strategic thinking and positioning and all those things. They would have been much more interested in talking to me at that time if I said, I'm a website designer than the, the head guy at, a, at an award-winning Madison Avenue agency. That didn't really excite them. It was pretty obvious to me because my first website went up in 1996. Mm -hmm. I wasn't one of these people that said this internet thing is going to be a trend. I said, I'm not sure exactly what this is. I don't know exactly what a website is, but I want to figure it out and get myself one of these websites. Yeah. So in 96, I had myself a website, and I think I was one of the first ad agencies on that, uh, New York that had a website. So I was paying attention to stuff and it became more and more painfully apparent to me that I had to reevaluate my own business model. Mm -hmm. When I had a, a business partner, he was the sales guy and he was an amazing sales guy. And he would find clients that had advertising budgets. They had dedicated advertising and marketing budgets. And for them, it was just a matter of finding the best agency right. to, do, to do the work we'd often would be pitching against other agencies, but it wasn't a question of, do they have the money to spend on advertising, right? When I was kind of now a smaller shop where I was doing everything and I had three employees, I was not only the head creative director, I was always, I was the, the, the business development guy. It's hard mm -hmm. to wear both of those hats. 
it made it more clear to me as I networked and tried to talk my way into getting meetings, it wasn't so sexy anymore to be an advertising guy. If, I, if that was the case then, and I didn't want to be a website guy because I didn't want to compete with someone, you know, literally half my age who was twice as good mm -hmm. and charging maybe, you know, a lot less money. I still had New York overhead. I had a Park Avenue apartment. I had bills to pay. So the question then became, if I'm not an ad agency guy, what am I? That's when I started calling myself a marketing guy because I realized they all needed marketing help. But a marketing guy, while it may be more interesting to a, a prospect, is still a very broad term that can mean any number of things. Mm -hmm. Again, it wasn't like saying I build websites or I create video content. A business owner could get his head around that and say, oh, gee, I need a website. Oh, I, I could use more video. They didn't walk away and go to the bar and grab a drink when I said I'm a marketing guy. So then I realized I had to figure out how, if I'm a marketing guy, then how can I create a brand mm -hmm. around this? And this was at the dawn of high-speed internet and Skype. Remember yep. Skype? Oh, okay. yeah. What really uh, was a tipping point for my brand as a marketing person, I got a call from a woman who said that she was referred to me. She was a small business owner. A, some kind of consultant or something. And she was referred to me by someone, highly referred to me by someone who knew me. She had also attended a presentation that I had given. So she, she knew me from that presentation, was impressed by that. Mm -hmm. Plus, she was very impressed by an ad campaign that was running on all the subways in New York at the time that she'd seen multiple times. It just, there were 11,000 subway posters of some of my work. So there were three points of connection to me. And she said, I, I need your help. And I said, to do what? I need some advice. And this is when I still hadn't made the leap from ad agency guy to some kind of marketing person. And I said, well, you know, I'm an advertising guy. I have an ad agency, right? And she goes, yeah, I know. I know your work. I saw your presentation, but I really think you could help me. And the person who referred you said, he's convinced you could help me. And I really do think you can help me. And I said, well, it sounds like you need some kind of consulting. She goes, yeah, I'd, I'd just love to talk to you. And I said, well, I, I don't do that. I said, you know, if you have like a specific project, uh, I could do that. But it sounds like you just need a few hours of consulting. Or The more I tried to convince her that I was not the right guy for her, the more she insisted that I was shut up and come up with a hourly rate. Uh, and this is, again, one of the things that really forced me to reevaluate. I spent the night thinking about what my hourly rate was going to be. And this was in 2004. I just went back and forth with all these numbers. And I finally came up with a, a hourly rate of 250 an hour. Mm -hmm. And that's what I said to her. I said, I, if we're really focused in the conversation, I'm sure we could get a lot accomplished in that hour. And she said, uh, well, that sounds interesting. And I said, and oh, and by the way, I get, get paid up front. I wasn't going to be chasing her around town yeah. for 250 bucks. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> so uh, she said, okay, when can we meet? So she came to my Park Avenue apartment and she sat on my couch and I pulled up a chair next to her. I pulled out my legal pad and pen. And I said, tell me, what's, what's the problem? What's going on? She started a story that went nonstop for about 45 minutes as I was taking notes. Mm -hmm. And I felt like a freaking therapist. 
which is understandable because anyone who is in their own business, especially if they're solopreneur, is really emotionally wrapped up in their business. Mm -hmm. I mean, I certainly was with mine. So I, I didn't falter for that. But I just realized that it is kind of like therapy. Being a marketing consultant is you, know, you have to understand a little bit about what's going on you know, in their head and their heart before you could even start to focus on the, the nuts and bolts of their marketing issues. And, you know, what their fears are, things like that, what, you know, what their goals are, what they've done, you know, uh, what, what excites them. Since there was only about 10 or 15 minutes left and she had already paid me the money up front, I wanted her to feel like she got her money's worth. I said, listen, we, I'm going to ask you to stop talking for a little bit because it, Otherwise, you're going to talk for the whole hour and you're not going to get any. Because we've been talking for 45 minutes. You're kidding me. She thought she was talking for 10 minutes. I said, we've both, I said, look, look at the clock. We've got 10 minutes left. I can give you an extra 10 minutes, but I really can't go beyond that. And so let me just, can I give you some feedback? She said, sure. I gave her some feedback. And she said, wow, wow. She said, well, you know, that, that's great. But she said, I, I feel like we can't stop now. You know, we just, I'm just getting rolling with this. I said, so what do you want to do? She said, well, I don't think it's a question. I think we, we have to schedule another meeting. I said, great. So as she was heading down the elevator uh, in my building, I said, I got to figure out how to brand this. Yes. If I can get people to talk to me for 250 an hour, I can get a dozen people to do that. You know, maybe I can make a living doing this. It didn't take me long to figure out that I was going to call it marketing therapy. I figured when I go to networking events and people say, so what do you do? And you basically got 10 seconds to captivate them. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I'm a marketing therapist. It's like, excuse me? Yes. Yes. Because what you've done is you've created something that is unexpected, that seems odd. And it's like that first sentence in those in really good novels where it's like, in anything. Call me Ishmael or yeah. a cold April, the clock struck 13. It makes you right. stop and go, what? No, hold it. I mis and, must have and, misheard you. Sure. And you know, as an advertising guy, you learn that you mm -hmm. need a headline that's going to grab them in a TV commercial. You better have something in the first five seconds of that TV commercial. If you wanted to watch the rest of it, I, I understood that concept, but I also felt that it was really accurate. Mm -hmm. uh, that it wasn't just a bogus, catchy thing just to get attention. And that's a mistake that I think too many people make. They just do something because they think it's clever. Yeah, I hate that word. I hate when people say it's clever. What I prefer people say is say that's really smart yeah. and, 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 and effective and creative. Yeah. Creative, I'll, I'll accept. That created a brand. When they go to my website, one of the first things they saw was, do you need, mar need marketing help? Question mark. Mm -hmm. And it led right into basically a one page that explained marketing therapy. And then I created an interface that you could click on and pay me online with a credit card. And again, this was 2004. It was new with Skype. I said, if I could do a really good job of branding this, there's no reason I shouldn't be able to get people around the country where I, I could do this. And I think there's a market, there's, you know, there's, there's definitely a market for small business owners that need marketing help. And they're just, just the way larger clients need advertising. They just want to find the, find the best agency. Smaller clients need marketing help. They just want to find the right consultant, mm -hmm. right? Same thing. Yeah. And it's got to be someone that they can trust, someone that they can feel that they can tell those their issues to and aren't going to turn around and give them bad advice or 
laugh at them or say, well, that was a stupid mistake. Nobody wants their mistakes thrown in their face. The beauty of this, Shannon, was that many of them didn't know. They didn't know what they didn't know. Some of them thought they knew what they wanted. Like, for example, one guy was referred to me from Chicago, and he was referred to me as an advertising guy who could do a TV commercial for him. Mm -hmm. He just knew that I was this award-winning advertising guy, called me up and said, so I hear you could do a, a TV commercial. Sure. What's your business? And he started talking for a few minutes. And within five minutes of talking to this guy, I realized this guy didn't even have a website. Again, this was, I don't know, 2006 or seven, maybe. It wasn't that long ago where he could get a pass on not having a website. Exactly. Exactly. He, he should have had a website, you know, for years. Yeah. And he's talking to me about a TV commercial that's going to run on cable. And I said, well, listen, as much as I'd be happy to take your money for a TV commercial, I don't think that's what you should be focusing on right now. I kind of just shared with him what I just shared with you. And I said, you don't have, even have a freaking website. Don't you think you should have a website? Because if people see this commercial and they like what they see, you think they're just going to call you from this a phone number that you're going to have on your TV commercial. You think they're going to be sitting watching TV with a pen in their hand. Oh, I know. So they could, Just so they could wait for your commercial. So they could quickly scribble down your, your, your phone number and call you after seeing a, a 30 second commercial. Oh, I know. I used to sell advertising because I would sit there and I would be drawing out the spec with them. And especially like realtors were like, Oh, well, I've got a, bu- I've got a bus bench. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But where you have to be where they go to find the phone number or they go to find the email or, you know, you got to be where they're going to Google. And they're like, Oh no, no, I've got the big thing on the bus bench. It's got my number on it. It's got everything on it. I'm like, people don't stop their car and write down your information and then keep going. In fact, when they sit down to Google, they're not even going to Google your name. They're going to Google realtor in such and such a place. So you, you know what I'm talking about. Totally. When I was speaking to this guy, and he was starting to realize that I was making a lot of sense. And that I was, I, I think he appreciated the fact that I was sincerely interested doing what was right for his business and not just being some guy to make some, some money because he said he wanted a TV commercial. I think he really appreciated that. So when I said, I, I don't think you know this, but I have a consulting model, I call it marketing therapy. And here's the link to it. Why don't you take a few minutes in the next day or two to look at that stuff and see how I work. And if you want to continue talking to me that way, I'll be happy to do that. I'd still be happy to do the commercial for you if that's what you want to do. But he said, no, no, no. He said, I think you're making a lot of sense. I think you're right about the website. And I'm, I'm really interested. This marketing therapy sounds great. He said, yeah, I'll definitely tell, I'll call you tomorrow. Let me, you know, give me, give me a few hours. I'll look at it tonight and I'll call you tomorrow. And so I think I had a two hour, a five hour, a 10 hour and a 20 hour package. I think he started with like a five hour package and then just kept buying, bought another five hour package and then another one. And then I think he said, gee, I should just buy a 10 because the more, the more hours, the, 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 the better the price was. I give him a, right. a price break. I ended up working with him for about, I don't know, t- two years, t- two or three years. And it was all via Skype. And the thing about it was, and I found this to be true with a lot of the, the people I started consulting with is that it became more um, clear to me after having a consultation about what they needed. And if they needed something like um, Google Analytics, I would just tell them, do that, 
do if either figure out how to do it or, or hire someone to do that. I don't do that. Yeah. That's what you need. But if you need to brand yourself better, I can help you with that. If you need, if you need a, a video, I can help you with that. If you need a brochure or a new tagline, I could help you with that. If you obviously, if you need an ad, I could help you with that. But there were there were all kinds of things I could still, me and my team, if you need copywriting, we can help you with that. Yeah. When it became more clear what they needed, then I would put together a proposal for a project. And that's when I would get a project fee. So it started out with consulting. It's almost like going in, going to your doctor for a physical and saying, you know, um, you need to get on an exercise program. Talk to so-and-so, she'll get you, she's a physical trainer. She'll get you, you know, how to lose weight and, you know, get into shape. That physical training is for, you know, three months, you know, mm -hmm. once a week or something like that. So that's kind of like what it was. You play the role of a, of a general practitioner with a consulting, and then I would fine tune it into whatever project, which me or, or my, my team, it became a, a pretty successful and interesting and satisfying business model for, I'd say a good 10, 15 years. Yeah, that is a really good model because people start thinking, oh, I want, just want someone to tell me what to do. And then they realize, oh, but that, yeah, that is what I need them to do, but I don't know how to do that. Or I don't want to do that. So I'm going to hire them to do that because they already trust you. Well, that's the other thing, you know, it's, it's all about trust, right? Starting out just doing this with a client, the way you and I are doing, you get a sense of the person. Mm -hmm. uh, I never met this guy in person from Chicago. I never met him. Back then, it wasn't even video conferencing. It was just, you'd hear the voice. Okay. So I was that just was like, talking. That was real early Skype. Oh yeah. I mean, it's 2004 hearing his voice was enough. And then I would show him, we could both look, do a screen share thing. So Skype enabled you to do the screen share. That would be the focus, the visual focus. So it wasn't like the, the screen was a waste. We would use that as, as a desk to present work, as a tabletop to present work. And it worked out really, really well. When I was selling advertising, we were having to give away the internet because we would sell the print and give the internet as the bonus. Right. And then, and, but now it's like, you couldn't give away print if you tried. Well, you just dated yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought that this gray dated me. <laughs> for, your, for your audio listeners. Oh yeah, no, I let people know how I'm old. Because <laughs> I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, but um, so I, that's why I think the biggest challenge for any business is to keep their fingers on the pulse of where things are going. And that's what I always tried to do. Like I said, when a friend of mine pulled me aside in 1994 and said, check this out, and sat me in front of a computer and pressed a button. And I waited for, you know, two minutes. And I said, what, what are we waiting for here? And it was like the slowest dial up ever. And then finally something appeared. And that was, you know, my first experience with the internet. And as I started learning more about it, and he explained to me that the idea of it, I, I, I real quickly realized that this probably wasn't just going to be a trend. I mean, a, um, uh, a flash in the pan. It was going to be something that was going to be with us. So as I mentioned to you, I, I don't know if this was before we recorded, but um, when podcasting came around, did I mention I was podcasting? Yeah. 
Yeah, because you were you're one of the early podcasters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I started hearing about that in 2005, I started focusing on pad podcasts that were explaining how to podcast. Mm -hmm. And it just it, I was intrigued by it because it just seemed really, really cool to be a host. I like talking to people. And and I, I also thought it might be a good way of attracting prospective clients because they might not take my call if I just call them up and try to pitch myself on the phone. But if I send, if I had my assistant send them an email and say, we have an open slot on our podcast on yeah. uh, next month, are you interested? The first thing they'll say is, uh, what's a podcast? <laughs> yeah, back then, definitely. <laughs> and then the second thing they'll say is, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know. Cause like back in 2005, I mean, I was listening to podcasts and that's how I found out about LinkedIn. And that's how I found, I mean, I, I was listening to technical um, ones about the internet. It was easy because, oh, um, and I was right into it. Like at the time, my husband at the time was up North. I was able to focus on learning as much as I could about the internet at that time. Because the fact of the matter is, is I started on the internet in high school. When I was in high school, the ARC school was part of an IBM project for the internet. Wow. And they came in and they explained to us, I mean, this was before Windows even, because they came in and explained to us what Windows was going to be like. Wow. And they explained to us how the internet was going to work. And we had to do this whole internet pro project. Um, we wrote, we all went around writing stories about our, our town and you can still find it. It's still online. And, but it was dial up and it was DOS. Um, and at one point I was asked to go to talk to, I was asked to be the one to represent our school and talk to the guys in San Alto, California. You're kidding me. But I was in British Columbia, Canada. And not only was I in British Columbia, Canada, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Um, Cause I was like six hours away from Vancouver. And they had to drive me to the nearest phone company building where they would have a boardroom. And there was a screen, like the big screen in the boardroom. And it was just like we're talking today. They were on the screen and I was in the room and they were asking me questions about my experience. And I told them, and I was the only one they were talking to because we were the only school in the whole area. Your school was so far ahead of the curve. That was amazing. I know, I know. My, um, our vice president, our vice principal at the time was really, he picked up on it, he grabbed onto it because, you know, like I said, I was the only one in the whole Okanagan in that room. We were, and our school was, I mean, I grew up in a town of 2,000 people. You know, amazing. It wasn't a big Canadian school. Canadian prairies and you're like cutting edge technology. Yeah, yeah. And it was just really fascinating stuff. And, you know, coding and stuff like that is totally Greek to me. But graphic design and um, when I started working, that's when email started to being a thing in business. And I was all over that. And I was all over creating email, uh, e-newsletters. And uh, my bosses loved me because I could find whatever they needed on the online. They would have nothing but troubles. And they'd be like, okay, Shannon, I need this. And I'd be like, here you go. <laughs> so in 2005, when my, uh, my husband at the time was up north and not um, getting in my way, I was able to sit down and really creating websites and understanding Google AdWords and all of that stuff. Because AdWords was even new back then right so you're talking about you, you were creating being websites new. as well you were getting into website design yeah yeah I was really trying to learn how to build a site and how to make money online 
but then my ex came back from working and that was the end of that. You know, it was just a real fascinating time. Uh, I was just so fascinated by what the internet could do at that time. You know, I listened to podcasts while I went for walks and now that I'm on my own and I'm able to focus, I, I've just been amazed by how, how much the internet has advanced since 2005, how mature some of those uh, platforms have become so that they're almost obsolete because there's something new already coming down the pipeline. It, it's a forever changing market. It's a Yeah, I mean, just place. imagine imagine what things are going to be like 10, 15, 20 years from now with I, AI, AI, yeah. right? That's the next thing coming down the pike. Well, I know an AI is one of those things that really kind of took me off because as a writer, it's like, hey, wait a minute. You know, I don't want AI to come in and write for me. And everyone's like, hey, cool. This is because they're like, hey, have you tried the AI program that can write? I'm going to do that for my business. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that, but I have, it, I have a hard time believing that. Maybe, you know, it sounds like you know more about it, but I, I can't imagine that writers would be totally replaced. I mean, might, might be able to do some writing, but. They do. Um, it's definitely written like anything. You put in the criteria and you get what you get because data in your, what you yeah. get out of it is only as good as what you put into it. AI will never uh, replace creative right. stuff that stands out. It will only right. create more content right. that is bland and right. blends. Yes. Yeah, I see a lot of things on, on YouTube and um, they're read by a computer voice. It's, it's like an encyclopedia copy. Mm. And I listened to it for 30 seconds and like, I, I can't listen anymore. It show, it's just so freaking boring. Yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you should. There is the whole thing where there's so much content out there right now and there's more and more content being made because of these AI tools and it's burying anything that's good. And it's getting harder and harder to find something worth watching and something worth being a part of. And then all the good creators are now putting their work behind paywalls, which is, I think they should be doing, which is interesting as well. Well, a famous ad guy in the sixties said something that relates to what we're talking about that I think still applies today. And his line was something to the effect of creativity is the only unfair legal advantage you can still have over your competition. Mm -hmm. And I think that will always be true. And if your competition is utilizing AI copy for their website and a voiceover for their videos, it's so easy to stand out. But the problem then becomes with all the money being thrown at ads and all of the content out there, it's hard for people to see the good stuff because the good stuff doesn't float to the top. It gets buried. And that is, so whoever can solve that problem will be, will be golden. John, I want to thank you. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, Google and YouTube. Okay. Spell, spell my name correctly. And uh, which is John, J-O-H-N, Follis, F-O-L-L-I-S. And, and plug those two words into Google and or YouTube. And the only other John Follis you might come across is a guy who's dead, who made a lot of pottery. 
Okay. So if you come across the dead pottery guy, that's, that's not, not me. That's not me. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm really interested in going by into YouTube and watching your stories about being on Madison Avenue, uh, the true stories of the ad. Of the true, ad true stories in advertising. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you plug that in with my name, you'll find that it's on uh, YouTube and Vimeo. Well, anyone that is a Madman fan is going to definitely want to go over and check those out because, you know, what was real on, on Madison Avenue, even if it is the 80s and the 90s, I think some of those stories are probably going to be really, really good. Yeah, well, if you do find the time to check that series out and watch any of them, uh, I'd be... Um, Curious to hear your thoughts about them. I'd love to hear any any comments you have, any feedback. Will feel do. Free, feel free to share. Will do, John. Thank you so much for joining me today on Brand Feeling. Listener, I hope that you learned something today and found this episode interesting. I'd love to know what it is. So head over to marketappeal.com and click on that community button to let me know what you thought of today's episode. Marketabeal.com has a ton of information to help you tell your brand story to the marketplace. So whether you want to read some articles, listen to some podcasts, and figure it out as you go along, or if you want to join us in one of the programs to help you tell your brand story to the marketplace, you can find it on Marketappeal.com. Listener, if you have a story that you would like to tell to the marketplace, please let me know. Go to marketappeal.com, click on contact, and send me an email. Let me know what your story is and why it will help people learn how to tell their brand story to the marketplace. Until next time, peel out.